alive again as opposed to dead, because that's always a good place to be. Um, <laughs> this week we've got, uh, I think Dan's going to start with a little bit of some some green scene uh, plant adventure guide, and we'll just chime in where it's appropriate or maybe inappropriate. We'll find out how it goes. So take it away, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the green scene. All right. So I've had this one for a while. And of course, getting it from Science Daily, I think. No, Science News. Ooh, a different one. Still got science in it, but uh, it's all about the science. Different spot. <laughs> <laughs> um, the author was Joseph Polidoro. If I'm saying that right. I'm sorry if I totally butchered your name, but uh, yeah, I saw a story about uh, what does it say? How planting 70 million eelgrass seed led to an ecosystem's rapid recovery. So, how much do you guys know about eelgrass? <laughs> well, it looks like a whole bunch of little wiggly eels when it's growing. <laughs> that is true. But, um, actually, I don't, other than it's plant, I don't know a ton about it. So, uh, fill us in. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, do you have any insight? Uh, no. No? Did, he'll <laughs> probably say, I don't have insight. <laughs> he'll okay. probably say, I'll, has not insight. <laughs> Trying to love you guys. Sorry. Sorry. Kev- to- Kevin's answered I'll everything is. When I have <laughs> Kevin's answered I mean, everything is. I'll eat it. <laughs> yeah. If there's a lot, it's out of control. Then I'll eat them. <laughs> That's well, the solution to everything. Yeah. <laughs> eat it when it becomes too abundant. Uh, yeah. So with this project in particular, because I'll we'll switch over what we do. Plant adventure guide because I actually have a little write up thing about uh, eelgrass and whatnot. So we can talk about it more then. But I'll talk about this project that they did where uh, they were seeding, I think, over 200 hectares. It's been going on for, I think, what, 20 plus years, I think, in uh, Carolina? No, where is it? Virginia. Yeah, Virginia. Um, just off the coast there, uh, where... Yeah, they were seeding 200 hectares uh, of salt marshes on the in eastern Virginia. Although it was a little confusing because just reading this one thing and trying to look more into it, I wasn't sure if it was actually 200 hectares or there was a number giving me 3,612 hectares. So that's a, a little bit of a difference. <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's a big area uh, difference there. If they were just doing we'll 200 just hectares, they're about 3,600. Uh, yeah, so yeah, somewhere in between there. <laughs> Uh, oh, we're we're just giving you a range there, uh, but yeah, it's been going on for about twenty years, and yeah, it's involved the Virginia Institute Institute of Marine Science, uh, Nature Conservancy, and a whole bunch of volunteers because a lot of these projects, especially when it comes to doing seed seeding or putting basically any <laughs> a lot of restoration projects when there's research involved, chances are they're going to try and get as many volunteers as they can, because um, yeah, it's not cheap some of these uh, restoration projects. Anyways, so yeah, with the history of the project uh, is that there was a lot of lagoons inland in that eastern Virginia area that were essentially eradicated by hurricanes because they're so close to the coast and uh, any like plant diseases and stuff since I think about the 1930s I think is what they were saying or that I looked into. Uh, researchers noticed that within a decade-long period, they observed a rapid response to restoration efforts. 
almost all ecosystem health indicators assessed that they looked at showed uh, positive results. So kind of going back to when I was talking about the wetland uh, introduction to wetlands, I think I kind of talked about some of these ecosystem indicators or like services that uh, wetlands provide. So a lot of these are kind of similar in that uh, what I talk about. Yeah, typical indicators of the ecosystem health include coverage, plant coverage, uh, water quality, uh, carbon and nitrogen storage, and invertebrate and fish biomass. Um, okay. So those are some of the things that they were looking at uh, when doing this project. Some of the results uh, that they found showed that carbon and nitrogen capture within the plots uh, increased as plots developed, looking at about less than a nine-year period and a nine, and then more than a nine-year period, and then by twenty years it reached somewhat normal levels of element capture. Because yeah, they were saying approximate sequestration of carbon. Uh, like carbon sequestration rates as of the other articles. It's a little old. It's from October of 2020. Uh, we're on average about 3,000 uh, metric tons of carbon and 600 plus metric tons of nitrogen. But yeah, so I think it's still ongoing because like that's kind of where they kind of finished it. it was just talking about uh, how much capture was being done as of October 2020. But it does sound like they're still doing more. But does seem like all the seeding and restoration efforts were doing a pretty good job getting these lagoons and kind of coastal areas uh, that had abundant of sea gra- or eelgrass uh, habitat uh, were coming back and almost mm. reached normal levels of capture carbon and nitrogen capture. So, so yeah, do you there's see- some promising. Uh, sorry, sorry, go see- ahead. I was just gonna say, do you see e- see <laughs> see eelgrass seal? as a uh, yeah, seal, seagrass, or, or um, as a pioneer species. So if it was in first and allows the other plants and everything to move in, or I mean, I know I realized they did this as a, it wasn't it wasn't a natural planting. They were just trying to revegetate something um, and document the results. But I'm just wondering if that's what it normally would be seen as as a pioneer type species. I think so because I think after. I might get into in the Planet Venture Guide. I forget if I put it down, but I think I remember reading somewhere uh, with one of their ranges. I think because I think it's a lot. Um, there's a big range kind of on on shores of like China and stuff. Mm. And I think they were talking about how yeah, a lot of these areas that where it's kind of been wiped out due to urbanization and uh, industrialization, just kind of like human involvement. Where yeah, a lot of these things have been cut back. With this project in particular in Virginia, it was very, uh, I mean, yeah, they came in to do the seeding restoration, but I think with uh, looking at, yeah, the range in kind of eastern China, I think they were saying that the stuff kind of just comes in anyway. It's very slow, and it does help when you can. Yeah, you can speed up the process for sure. Yeah, by getting a whole bunch of people to seed it and kind of do it in the way that... (laughs) where we have a little bit more control versus nature where sometimes things can be a little bit slower, but might be the right way to do it. Cause sometimes you don't want to go too fast with <laughs> seeding a certain area. Um, yeah. There's a happy be, balance. I mean, you don't want bare, yeah. bare ground surface area, but at the same time you want to see how everything's doing before you ov- overdo something, I suppose. Right. But mm-hmm. um, because yeah, I'll get into it with the plan adventure guide aspect of it, but yeah, they do a lot of um, benefits to being mm-hmm. present but I think even being early on, like 
being a pioneer species or being there kind of er in the early stages of when an area is kind of trying to regrow and get back to some sort of (laughs) normalcy that uh, it does provide a lot of uh, benefits for other organisms as well. Um, Both plants and animals. So, yeah. So I thought that was kind of a little interesting story. Yeah. When, so if you're, if you're doing the plant adventure guide on it as well, um, I'll hold my tongue because I, <laughs> I have some stuff that I noticed about it that I could add to that too. So, but it's very cool. Eelgrass. Yay. Hi, welcome to the Plant Adventure Guide. Plant Adventure Guide. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about eelgrass or the scientific name is totally going to butcher it. Zostra marina, maybe? <laughs> Well, I guess Zostra uh, contains like a whole bunch of different species. Oh yeah, so there's like more than there's more than one species of eelgrass, isn't it? so? Like, yeah, I ju- this is just kind of the main common one that. Yeah. When you kind of Google it, it's kind of the first original thing that pops species. Up. Yeah, but there's so many different subspecies and whatnot. And, but I th- this was the one uh, I think they talked about in the in that project. Yeah. And well, so, the other thing too is that project was down in the eastern states, yeah. But eelgrass, well, various eelgrasses exist almost all over the world. Now I don't know because they're generally saltwater and and connected to the ocean or or saltwater marshes, that kind of thing. I don't know if Alberta has any or not, but I know British Columbia does. So we can say yeah, yes, BC. Canadian. Yeah, I know <laughs> BC does. Uh, on their coast, Alberta. I was looking; I didn't see any, but I wasn't sure was if we had say, like maybe some because we do have some saltwater marshes. So I was wondering because mm, you don't necessarily have yeah. to connect to an ocean to have a saltwater marsh. But like looking at some of the habitat ranges, like you know USDA is kind of my go-to for mm-hmm. a lot of these habitat ranges, and they were showing that there was none there. Oh, no. So, um, but who knows? There could be some hiding somewhere that. <laughs> Hasn't been discovered. <laughs> Start sifting through all the plants looking for eelgrass. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, oh, yeah. so uh, eelgrass uh, is a perennial marine flowering plant. Uh, they got kind of flan stems with like very super long blades. Yeah, they're like very wavy, like flat. <laughs> Looks kind of like a flat, a flat, floppy grass, but it, because it's a flowering plant, that's kind of different. It's kind of mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of reminds me of uh if you took uh wow why am i blanking on it not rush sort oh, of rushes uh where it's kind of just you know kind of one i mean not all of them but when i kind of think of rushes it's kind of just one big stem with maybe a little bit of a flower popping off either on the side or at the very tip and like yeah. that's kind of it but just imagine that but just like and squishing that mass and, <laughs> and flatten and floppy and floofing yeah. through the water and yeah, pretty cool. And uh, oh, yeah. and I I just noticed for Kevin, yes, ed- eelgrass is edible. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually just reading online. It's uh, very common uh, yeah. on both sides of the the globe. Uh, what am I talking mm-hmm. about? I'm just <laughs> I'm just translating like because the, the globe is a square. It's, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's okay. It's um, we're having it's, a good time uh, this week. You can you can find those on either like Asia or America, and mm. it, it's usually yeah it's typically found uh, around the ocean. And they said yeah you can eat those, it's very good. And then 
it's like sea, uh, seaweed. What? And then you can also use that to grow stuff. I'm pretty sure Dan's going to cover that. Okay, Dan, carry on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're getting crazy on this all excited now. So Dan, sorry, you're the one host. So yeah, usually <laughs> you can find them in like kind of sandy, muddy coastal shore areas along yeah, the North Pacific, North Atlantic, Europe, North Africa, and East China. So yeah, kind of any of these kind of coastal areas, kind mm-hmm. of north of uh, the equator uh, somewhat. Because yeah, I don't, I didn't really see much ranges kind of south of the equator, kind of South America down there a little bit, mm-hmm. um, or Southern Africa. Yeah, they were just kind of maybe saying North Africa. Maybe it's too hot. Area. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, uh, but yeah, closest habitat range to us here in Edmonton, Alberta would be, yeah, as we were saying before, kind of along the BC uh, coastline, I think would be the kind of closest area where you could see some of those, uh, some of the species. Um, I don't know if this one in particular is there, but some sort of subspecies relate to it probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, yeah, because they kind of prefer areas of low water flow uh, and where the water is somewhat transparent. So not even though they are found kind of in these, like I said, sandy, muddy coastal areas. They do prefer clean water, um, clean water with enough light to uh, come through mm-hmm. uh, wherever they're at. But yeah, cool. so eelgrass uh, areas um, are favored by marine deposit feeders. And marine deposit feeders are just the organisms that obtain their nutrients from organic matter that is deposited on the surface for easy access. So it kind of just literally kind of falls to the ground for them to <laughs> easily get at. So yeah, eel grasses, uh, deposit feeders, marine deposit feeders uh, do like these kind of areas to kind of hang around and be able like, to get some It's like food. hanging out so, at the water cooler. Yeah. We're yeah. <laughs> so yeah, examples of deposit feeders would be like crabs, eels, bass, snails. Yeah. Uh, there's probably a billion other ones, but those are kind of the... It's just an eel grass party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, on... so... go oh. ahead. I, I was just going to say, I also saw that they um, they can, well, again, because they grow on mass and there's so much of it, and it's flattened, as Dan said, uh, I guess they can be used for stuffing mattresses and cushions and um, Ooh, a I'll bunch of different that. things. Ooh, oh, yeah. Okay, go, go. Uh, yeah, so on top of providing food for deposit feeders and other organisms, eelgrass provides uh, nursery habitat as well for marine species. Baby! Uh, yeah, like uh, for uh, herring spotting, like little areas. Um, so yeah, they provide food and spawning areas, so multifunctional. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that as well, people can also use it. So for household applications way back when, and maybe still even today, uh, household applications uh, with, uh, they can use it for stuffing furniture. Uh, they used it for uh, roof thatching uh, oh, way yeah. back when, uh, for paper fibers, uh, and then basket and blanket weaving, and insulation for houses and stuff. So yeah, they were used for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, just because and- they were so abundant. At, and again, uh, I forget what the, where I was reading that I think this was like 1800s. They were looking at a small town in like Denmark or somewhere, uh, kind of there in Europe. That just all these houses that were using eelgrass for mainly roof hat thatching and basket weaving and insulation, and then how that kind of art died off with you know kind of more modernization of materials and stuff to use for uh, building houses. But I think not too long ago, I think within the last decade, I think the small community in Denmark. Uh, was looking for uh, looking to bring it back in some mm. form or another to kind of relive these uh, practices 
Oh, for doing insulation thatching. Oh my god! Yeah, and it's it's also like um, other than a lost art to to relearn, it's also like obviously ecologically friendly, and it's you know something that's uh, produced in vast quantities that's easy to access makes sense rather than getting something from far away or something that's rare, right? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and it, oh, go ahead. Oh, Sorry. No, uh, go. You go ahead because I have a feeling this is going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, the final thing I was just going to say quickly was uh, it also has a bunch of medicinal attributes. So the leaves, for example, can be cooked or used raw for a whole bunch of different dishes. Uh, the leaves have been used to treat uh, dropsy, which is excess water buildup within soft tissues. That and uh, uh, go. Goiter. Oh, goiter. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, goiter. So yeah, that's just kind of like a large uh, thyroid mm -hmm. uh, gland. Which quite um, often so is because of uh, like different uh, vitamin nutrient imbalances or whatever. So mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, apparently it's been used to kind of help uh, reduce that. Um, but again, with any medicinal things, especially when they talk about it in a, <laughs> a few hundred years ago's context, you have to be very careful as to... <laughs> taking this as it's going to definitely fix the one issue yeah that, you, uh, you might want to connect with your for. doctor or whatever if you're really dire yeah. but if you're you know a relatively healthy person without allergies you can it doesn't hurt to try it out it's not going to harm you or whatever unless of course mm -hmm. like everything if you eat in moderation <laughs> yeah like if you ate 500 pounds of strawberries that probably wouldn't be very good for you either <laughs> but <laughs> strawberries generally are okay but i guess it's um the, the eelgrass has got uh, saccharin in it too, so it's um, considered sweet tasting. So and that's what I was just going to say is that Oops, the I'm final sorry. thing was. Yeah. I keep ruining uh, all the, your um, stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, the rhizome's got that, uh, yeah, saccharin stuff in it, which is, yeah, like super sweet sugar substitute, sort of. Yeah, well, it's, well, yeah I like guess... it's, it's saccharin juice. Yeah. And yeah. it's supposed to be 300, 400 times sweeter than like your normal sugar Regular that you sugar. get. So similar yeah, to, yeah. Um, what's that other one? Sativa? Like that one's pretty sweet too and natural, but you find that more in the leaves than the rhizomes. Whereas this one, you have to dig a little bit to get to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and I guess our indigenous people gravitated to it because it was sweet. Um, so they quite often used it at feasts and things to celebrate mm -hmm. things because it was considered special. So Yeah, so and, that was just a little, yeah. little thing about it. So. Well, and, and I guess the other thing, again, because it's produced in such vast quantities, biomass for, for fuel, for energy production, too. Um, yes. A lot of places would did and maybe still do. You know, maybe more developed countries don't do it as much anymore, but there's a lot of places that rely on that kind of thing. So, yeah. So, eelgrass, good choice. I wouldn't have thought of eelgrass, actually, but that's a really cool one. Yeah. Yeah. Like... Yeah, I just found the research story first, and I'm like, well, I don't even know much about eelgrass. I wanted to look it up a little bit. I'm like, well, I think this would be enough to talk about. I know, we, again, we don't get much of it here in Alberta, landlocked Alberta. No, uh, we're still but still Canadian like, Thomas, we do? Yeah, there, there's still some in BC that we get, and yeah, like Don was saying, like, yeah, we do get, or we have salt marshes here in Alberta, and who's to say that there might be some subspecies um, or something similar uh, that we get here, but mm -hmm. yeah, and the and the applications too, like what they were doing down in the states. Um, even if it's a different species, probably has some parallels that people can can use the information that they gather to do similar projects up here, right? So, 
Oh, yeah, because, again, with all the little kind of, especially in the parkland area with all these little riparian, I don't want to say subcategories, but, you know, you can you can look at it as a lake or a river or just all these different kind of like water bodies mm -hmm. uh, with all the shore uh, restoration that uh, goes on. Yeah, I think there could be a lot of similar um, practices uh, that happen with this particular research project that could be applied to stuff we're doing here and vice versa. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Illustrious eelgrass. This concludes another episode of Regenerative Landscapes. Please leave a comment, subscribe. For more information, go to fescue.ca and mmgardens.ca.